Hello, Hayes. I'm stuck in the middle of family drama and I don't know what to do. How do I tell my mom to stop triggering me with food? I'm really hurt that he isn't willing to give up any holiday with his family, but I am. I know it sounds selfish, but I wanted to spend my break talking about my college life, not talking her off a cliff. I think that's bogus. Your question tugs on my heart. I see right through myself. I know that this theory is a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism, but it's a good one. Does anybody actually have a healthy relationship with food? That's what being an older sister is all about. You might be being unreasonable. I think you also feel this way for a reason. We're going to talk about all of that in this letter. Hello, Hazelnuts, and welcome back to episode two of the Hello Haze podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Hayes Robinson, but you can call me Hayes. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm drinking a cup of tea right now, and I promise not to take big gulps while I'm using the microphone, but there is some whiskey in my tea. Now, I could have just decided not to tell you that. People listening to the podcast aren't even going to see the mug in my hand, but my YouTube friends will. The reason I'm telling you is because I want us to be as close I want us to follow the same rule that I follow with my husband, Rob. And that rule is called same level always. What does that mean? It means that anytime one of us takes a gummy, has a glass of wine, has an extra glass of wine, we try to be on the same level. You know, we want to support each other. We want to match each other's vibes. We have had to make some edits to this rule at weddings and such when like people are taking shots. I don't take shots anymore, but back in the day... Back in the day, I learned that I could not go shot for shot with Brian. But that's a rule we have in our relationship. Same level. So I'm telling it to you guys because I want to extend that intimacy to you. Anyway, we're back this week <laughs> and we're talking about going home for the holidays. It's a holiday-themed episode, holiday haze. Now, going home for the holidays can mean whatever you want it to mean. If you're not literally going home, this episode is still for you. There's something for everyone. We're going to hear from three different letter writers, and they're all grappling with a different challenge this holiday season. Our first letter writer is someone who's feeling stuck in the middle of a family conflict. Our second is about splitting the holidays with a partner and what happens when one of the partners is less flexible than the other. And our third is about food and body image. And what do we do when somebody in our family or somebody who we're eating with or spending time with is throwing a wrench in our healing? What do we do? Before we start talking about the letters, I want to tell you about this philosophy that I have that I really try to live by. It's helped me. It's helped me a lot over the years as it relates to holidays and pressure on the holidays and who am I spending it with? What am I doing? Is it the best day ever? It relates to holidays, but it also relates to birthdays, weddings. And it's this idea that a day is just a day. A day is just a day. We have a tendency to like personify these days, these important days. We give them so much meaning and power, which can be a great thing. But sometimes when we give too much power to a day, we put ourselves at too much risk of like something going wrong and then us becoming devastated that the day is lost. Someone ruined Thanksgiving. They ruined Christmas. I try to remove the pressure from any day because the reality is that if a day is special to you, it doesn't need to happen on that day. If you love Thanksgiving, what do you love about Thanksgiving? You love the food? You love spending time with your family? Well, guess what? That can happen on any day. It doesn't just need to happen on Thanksgiving. And listen, I see right through myself. I know that this theory is a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism, but it's a good one. I mean, I know where this rule comes from. I'm not kidding myself. This rule definitely comes from being a child of divorce. Like when you have divorced parents, you cannot be out there thinking that the day is the most sacred because you naturally have to split up days, whether it's birthdays or holidays. You're not going to be with both your parents in one day. All right, let's start reading the letters. Letter one. I'm stuck in the middle of family drama and I don't know what to do. Hello, Hayes. I'm a college student and the middle child of nine siblings. My four youngest are under 18. 
My older sister lives far away and is currently in a relationship that conflicts with my parents' religious beliefs. And as you can imagine, this has caused a lot of conflict. She told my mom about the relationship the night before Thanksgiving my freshman year. And instead of my break being all about my classes or my friends, I ended up playing therapist for my mom. I know it sounds selfish, but I wanted to spend my break talking about my college life, not talking her off a cliff. My sister says she won't come home for Christmas this year unless she can bring her partner and introduce her as such to my little siblings. My parents might agree to the first part, but are completely against the second. I have mixed feelings about my sister not coming home. She always tells me and my little siblings that she loves us, but her actions don't always reflect that. She doesn't make much effort to stay involved from afar, which can make them really sad sometimes. I understand my sister's frustration with my parents, but I feel like she should be more willing to compromise so she can at least see my little siblings who sometimes doubt her love for them. How do I tell my parents that I don't want to be in the middle of their drama while also telling my sister that I think she should compromise more? Is there a way to express frustration without causing a rift? Sincerely, stuck in the middle. <sighs> Being in the middle is an impossible position and you're stuck in many middles. You're in the middle of this, of this, uh, of this heartbreaking problem between your sister and your parents. And you're also literally in the middle as the middle child. And in true middle child fashion, you are not allowing yourself to be a character in this story. Hear me out. Your sister and your parents are going through something that may never be resolved. What your sister feels, I imagine, is more than frustration. You say in your letter, I understand her frustration. I think it's more than that. If your parents can't accept her for who she is or for who she loves, that's not just frustration. That's that's a that's a heartbreaking reality that impacts your whole family, you included. Don't deny yourself your unique experience of this story. And I'm not talking about being a narcissist, okay? Like we don't wanna go around making ourselves the center of somebody else's situation. But you are a character in this story, an important character. Like if you imagine that your life, your family's story is a book, there's alternating chapters and we hear the perspective of the mom, the sister, the other sister. You are one of those sisters. Your perspective makes the story complete. This is part of your life. Again, we don't want to make your sisters, we don't want to make your sisters real life about you, but it's important to privately with the people you trust, I do think it's okay to center yourself as you process this or to center yourself adjacent to prioritizing your sister. With middle children and with any any people who tend to prioritize other people's needs above theirs, I think we sometimes think about, we completely forget about ourselves and we don't even realize that you're sitting in really big grief. You're sitting in big grief. How are you coping with that? This is happening to you too. Your parents' choices and your sister's decision that she makes as a result of their choices, it impacts your life too. And the feelings you have about it matter. You matter. And I have to say that because your letter is primarily focused on other people's feelings. You briefly mentioned how you felt when you came home from college and instead of being able to talk about your friends and your courses and normal, quote unquote, normal college things, instead of having that experience, you had to talk her off a cliff. You briefly mentioned that, but you described it as selfish. You say, this must sound selfish. And my love, I didn't think that sounds selfish at all. I don't think it sounds selfish to want to be able to come home and have your mom be interested in what you're saying. So one of your questions for me in this letter is, how do I tell my parents that I don't want to be in the middle of this drama? And I think that you say it just like that. I don't want to talk to you about that. I don't agree with you and I don't want to talk about this. You're not super explicit with me about what your beliefs are, but I get the sense that you do accept your sister for who she is and who she loves and that you want her to be happy. I don't know that, 
but I get that sense based on the way you're writing me this letter and the fact that you wrote to me at all about this. I don't know what the right level of pushing is. You know, how much do you push your parents? I don't actually want to talk about them because I don't think that they are part of the solution here. I don't think that trying to change your parents' mind is a worthwhile use of your energy right now. I'd rather see you focus your energy on your relationship with your sister because I think that you and your sister need each other. So your question, how do I express my frustration to her that I think she should compromise more? Well, I don't think you should do that. Not until we really think about what you feel and why. Right now you're saying that you feel frustrated. That's the language that you're using. That's the primary feeling that I'm getting from your letter. And it doesn't really surprise me because again, it doesn't seem like you've given yourself much time or chance to think about how you actually feel. You have all these blockers up about, oh, well, it's selfish to think that. So don't, don't think that. Don't think that. That's selfish. We got to think about how you feel. And understanding how we feel usually requires uncovering a lot of layers. And if you're someone who has not allowed yourself to really feel the full spectrum of your feelings because you're judging yourself or because you think that your feelings are ugly or they make you a bad person, well, then I think you might be grasping for the first feeling. You might just be grasping for the first feeling that's available to you instead of the most honest feeling. So we got to unpack these layers. And this is the theme in my advice I'm starting to realize. In analyzing my own advice, I noticed that when people ask me, how do I confront someone for this thing? A lot of times, my first reaction is to not confront yet and instead really make sure you understand how you feel. I'm all for confrontation after the person doing the confronting has done some internal work and has really thought about what they wanna say and why they wanna say it. We really benefit from taking a pause first before confronting someone. We can get the most out of our conversation with them if we really understand what we want and how we feel. So I wanna strip down your frustration, we're calling it frustration now, to its truest form. So reading your letter, you empathize with your sister, it seems, but you feel frustrated that she doesn't visit you so much because you're worried that your younger siblings don't know how much she loves them. You want her to compromise more. You want them to feel loved. This, this part of your letter is all about your siblings. What's the version of this that focuses on you and your feelings and your relationship with your sister? Remember, you're allowed to focus on you and your relationship. I wonder if you feel frustrated because you're doubting her love for you. I wonder if there's a part of you that's like, I know this sucks, sister. I know mom and dad are being bigoted. But don't you love me enough to come home? Isn't your love for me greater than your anger at them? I would understand that feeling. What else do you feel? Like, what else does hearing me say that elicit for you? Is there anything? I imagine that you are feeling grief. Grief that your family isn't turning out to be this like perfect white picket fence family. And to be clear, I'm not saying that because of your sister. I think it's, you know, your parents. It's your parents. It's it's your parents. And you might feel some grief over that. That you have this big family of all these siblings, but now because they won't be accepting, your sister's not coming home. And what does this mean about us? And what does it mean about the rest of my life? And that that's, you're probably sitting in grief. And I wonder if it's easier to be frustrated at your sister than to just feel sad. Because sadness and grief is a bottomless hole. And I think that when we feel it, when we feel ourselves sinking into that hole, we can grasp onto things that we don't even agree with. We grasp onto things, we grasp onto anything that we think will make the feeling better. And right now, 
being frustrated with your sister, wanting her to compromise, that might seem like the easiest solution to the pain you're in, to the sadness you feel, that things feel broken. But they're not just broken. You have a really beautiful opportunity to build a relationship with your sister outside of your parents' home, outside of their opinions and their lack of acceptance. And love, your sister coming to your house more, it's not gonna fix the issue. It's a problem between her and your parents. It's a problem between, it's, it's your parents' problem. It's your parents' problem. It's not even her problem. It's not her responsibility to make them see things differently. And it's not your responsibility to make them see things differently either. You know, you, sweet middle child, are not responsible for anybody else except for yourself. You have a really important role to play in your family, but it's not peacemaker. It's not fixer. It's supportive sister. And I think that building a relationship with your sister will heal a part of you. I think it will soothe that frustration. And you know, it might heal something in her too. It's gotta be really hard for her. And I imagine she needs her sister. What's happening isn't her fault. And it's not your fault either. I obviously don't know your sister, but it sounds to me like she's making the decisions that she feels she needs to, to honor her relationship and herself. And that to me is very honorable. There comes a time when everyone has to make decisions that are best for themselves, even if it means separating yourself from family. It's true. This is all part of the grief that right now, her doing what's best for her might mean not coming home for Christmas. If your parents can't allow her to be who she is, if she has to hide the person she loves or not be honest about who they are, I respect, I respect and honor her decision, as do you, I think, even if it feels hard and sad. I know it feels like a lot is ending, but I think that this could be the beginning of something. You can start a new chapter of the story with your sister by respecting her choices and by wanting to be there for her and understand them. I think you can talk to her. You can tell her how you're feeling without asking her to compromise on her boundaries and what she needs to do. You have to respect this choice that she's made. That could sound like, I'm so sad that mom and dad are doing this. I wish it was different and that you felt safe coming home, but I understand why you don't. I really don't want this to hurt our relationship and I need you in my life. Can we figure out how to make this work so that we don't lose each other? I love you, I support you. It's simple words, but I, have you said that to her? Maybe your sister needs to hear that. And your baby siblings, listen, I know you're concerned about them and for good reason, but your siblings, your siblings' experience of this, just like you're a, just like you have your own unique chapters in this book of your life, your younger siblings have their own unique chapters too. Their experience of this moment are going to be different than yours, and you cannot control how they feel. You can't make them feel loved by your sister. You can't make them feel or do anything, but what you can do is model for them what it looks like to support someone and to build your own relationship with someone and to be your own person and to have your own beliefs, to be proud of the people you love, to respect people's boundaries. You can model all of that. They'll look to you and they'll say, wow, look at how she's, look at how she's making her own relationship with our older sister. We wanna do that too. That's what being an older sister is all about. And I know you're a middle child, but you're also an older sister. And it's not about making sure, we can't prevent our baby siblings from feeling pain. We can't prevent them from feeling hurt by other people in our family or other people in the world, but we can show them how to get up every day, how to try to be better, how to love harder. And I think that begins now with you transforming your frustration into courage. Have the courage to sit through the pain. Have the courage to move through this uncomfortable feeling to realize that it isn't frustration, but it's sadness. I know you have that courage. They're all lucky to have you. Letter two. Hello, Hayes. 
My boyfriend and I live together and have been dating for almost three years. Two years ago, during our first holiday season together, I asked if he wanted to spend Thanksgiving with my family, and he said no. I understood, because we weren't even dating for a year at that point, and I knew Thanksgiving was his favorite holiday. Then Christmas came around, and I asked if he wanted to spend Christmas Eve with my family. Again, he said he'd rather spend it with his family, and it honestly really hurt my feelings. I tried not to think too much about it, though, and he ended up coming over on Christmas for a little bit. But then last year, the same thing happened. No for Thanksgiving, no for Christmas, and I was hurt again. Trying to get ahead of my anxiety this season, I talked to him over the summer about how I was feeling. I said that I understand Thanksgiving is his favorite holiday, and I'd be willing to spend it with his family if he was willing to spend Christmas Eve with mine. He said he would try to move his family's Christmas Eve celebration to Christmas Day. Well, fast forward to now, and his family isn't going to switch their Christmas Eve celebration, so he won't be able to come to mine. He invited me to Thanksgiving the other week, but I decided not to go because I don't think it's fair that I should skip out on my family events if he won't skip out on any of his. He understood and said we would figure something out. I'm really hurt that he isn't willing to give up any holiday with his family, but I am. It makes me feel like he doesn't care about spending holidays with me, and I don't understand why he wouldn't want to. He prioritizes me and our relationship outside of this situation, but it really bothers me that he isn't willing to compromise on this. I can acknowledge that the holidays are a time for family, but we live together, and if we end up together, we're going to create our own family. I just don't understand why we can't make spending the holidays together a priority now. His argument is that we're young, not engaged, and his family hosts, so he can't miss it. Do you have any insight, Hayes? Part of me feels like I'm being unreasonable, and another part of me thinks that I feel this way for a reason. Yours, why can't we split? I think that both things can be true. You might be being unreasonable about some pieces of this situation, but... I think you also feel this way for a reason. We're going to talk about all of that in this letter. The holidays really have a way of highlighting incompatibilities or mismatched values or just creating conflict in couples. One reason for this is because maybe more than any other occasion or time of year, they bring up the definition of family so plainly. And the question of at what point in a relationship do two people become family? I'm of the belief that people become family in the quiet moments. It happens over time. I don't think it can be marked by an external milestone. Getting engaged, for example. Some people are like, we're not family until we're engaged. I'm not celebrating with you and your family on Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever until we're engaged because that's when we're family. I think that's bogus. Getting engaged could not be a marker of family for me because I wouldn't get engaged to someone who didn't already feel like family. Your question tugs on my heart and I feel your pain because I feel that you want to be seen as his family. You feel that he's your family and his actions or his lack of action is making you feel like you're not. And that's hurtful and painful and real. I agree that you feel this for a reason. Your gut is speaking to you and I want all of us, I want all of us to get better at listening and understanding our gut. Your gut is telling you something here. I don't know what it is yet. Maybe by the end of the letter, we're gonna figure that out, or at least we'll have a roadmap for how you can start thinking about that yourself. I do think that this is a very important conflict in your relationship. And by that, I mean how you handle this matters. It has stakes. I don't think there's one right way to holiday, though I do think it's important you holiday together. And by together, I don't mean in the same place necessarily, but that you make decisions together that you choose what you do on holidays together and that you both feel good about it. There are three pieces to your specific conflict. There's the what, the why, and the how. The what is that you're not spending the holidays together right now. After three years of dating, you live together and that's making you feel all sorts of things. And the what, the what is so intense that it's distracting you from the why and the how. And I think that the why and the how, those actually represent your bigger, real, deeper problem. Like understanding the why, why this is happening and how 
how you two discuss and make decisions together. That's the way through this, not focusing on the what. So let's talk about the why. If I were you and my partner was showing inflexibility about spending holidays together, I would really want to understand why. First, why does he feel so strongly about the holidays? You don't seem to be connected to his passion here. Like you say he loves Thanksgiving. Cool. Like, okay, why? Tell me more. I think you need to be connected to his why for you to be able to empathize and understand this. Like, how can he bring you into his love for this holiday so that you can understand where he's coming from? If you as a person are going to love something so much that you won't be flexible with it for another person that you love, you better be able to explain your love for that other thing. Just saying, well, I love Thanksgiving. Like, that's not that's not really good enough. You need to be able to explain it to your partner if you want them to understand your rigidity. I'd ask him to share more about that with you. I don't know if you've done that really beyond just like, why don't you want to celebrate? Well, I love Thanksgiving. Okay. I'd ask him, like, I want to understand your relationship to this holiday because of because it seems so important to you. You say it's your favorite, but can you tell me more about what you mean? Like, why is it your favorite? And then the other why, why aren't you interested in being flexible here? Like, what's the honest answer? Because the answer he gave you is just like the platitudes excuses version. Like he could have Googled that. How do I tell my girlfriend that I don't want to spend Thanksgiving with her? We're not engaged yet. Like that's the chat GPT version. We're not engaged. I like Thanksgiving. My family hosts. It lacks emotional specificity to your situation. If you didn't care about this, then maybe that maybe that reason would be fine. But you're deeply upset about this. You're upset enough that you brought it up months in advance. So his reasons, they're just, they're too basic. They're too basic. And something about the, well, we're not engaged, that to me feels unnecessarily cruel. But I think that comes back to my belief that getting engaged shouldn't be the marker of family. Also, why are we putting engagements and marriage and weddings on such a pedestal. It is totally fine to not want to do those things and to still see people as family. People see friends as family. There's all sorts of chosen family. So I think that I, all right, let me unpack why I'm reacting to that. I think that engagements in this patriarchal world, in a heteronormative cisgender relationship, it's something that the man does to the woman and the woman just waits around until the guy's going to propose and she just has to wait and wait and wait, disregarding her needs. I don't like it when people wave not being engaged over their partner's head as a reason for why we don't do something together yet. I would rather hear them give the more specific and honest reason why they're not doing something yet. So in this specific example, I'd rather an emotionally honest answer from him, even if it hurts me. I'd rather that than a vague, than a vague explanation. I'd rather hear someone say, I love the holidays with my family. And until you and I know that we're going to be together, I'd rather be with my family. Oh, I mean, it'd be a dagger to the heart, but at least it's honest. And maybe that's not how he feels. Maybe it's, look, you and I are going to get married. And once we get married, we're going to start switching off. So I just want to spend as much time with my family as I can. I'd rather have that. I'd rather have the emotional specificity of that than just the platitudes that he gave you. I guess I'm wondering if you are being, you're being vulnerable and deep and open with him and he's not responding to you with that same level of vulnerability. And I'm wondering is he capable of giving you that? Like some people aren't. Some people aren't that deep. Some people don't know how to have those conversations with themselves. Some people don't even know what their honest self-talk looks like. Does he? Is he capable of looking at himself and figuring out what he feels and then articulating it to you? Does he show interest in being capable of doing that? Like it is a learned skill. So it's okay if he doesn't have it now, but does he show that he wants to? Some people can't. And I think this is a moment for you to figure out whether you two are on the same playing field in terms of your emotional vulnerability. Emotional specificity 
when talking about why you're not doing something in a relationship, it's really important because then it allows both people to make informed decisions about what they want to do. With his vague answers, you can't make that informed decision because you don't really know what the truth is. So that's the why. I'd want to understand why he loves this holiday so much because maybe there's something you're missing and if he could just explain it to you you would understand so there's the two whys there's why he cares about these holidays so much what they're really about for him beyond just it's my favorite holiday and why is he really so inflexible and then there's the how how yushu came to this decision because i think that actually i think that that's actually that's a huge part of this problem i would articulate to my partner that it's not just that i'm sad that we're not spending the holidays together i am but i'm saddened by our approach to this decision. I'm sad by how we got here. I want us to have a more flexible and open dialogue about how we make decisions that affect us both. How we make decisions when we feel differently. How we make decisions about things that we both really care about but don't necessarily agree on. Like I'm thinking about what he could have done differently here that would have made this feel better for you. So you said that you brought it up, you brought this up over the summer to him. Would you feel differently about all of this if he brought it up with you? So if he said, Hey, babe, I know the last two Christmases we've talked about spending it together and it's been hard and sad that we didn't. And looking ahead to this year, I still think that I'm going to spend Christmas with my family, but I wanted to talk about it with you in advance and, you know, figure out how we can make this feel best for both of us. Like if he had shown initiative like that when bringing it up, would you feel differently about this? Would that, would that have given you some sense of like emotional, psychological safety? Because right now you had to bring all of this up. And I imagine that just like having him think about this, like you'd think you'd want him to be able to look to the past two years, see a pattern and want to get ahead of it in the same way that you are. I'm wondering if that would have made a difference because if it was, you can bring that up to him when you talk about it again. We've talked a little bit about him and now I want to talk about you because you know I'm all for accountability. Are you being unreasonable? Here's the ways where I think it could be a maybe. One, I would always be weary in a relationship, in my own relationship too, when you start making tough decisions based on principle. So you wrote, I shouldn't have to skip my family Thanksgiving if he isn't going to skip his. That thinking, while I'm not judging you for it because I know you're in a hurt, frustrated place, I think that thinking is not the thinking of a partnership. If you want to spend Thanksgiving together, and if you otherwise are open to missing your family's Thanksgiving this year, I think this could have been a moment to like drop the sense of pride and justice and go to his Thanksgiving. Remember, a day is just a day. If it doesn't work out, you'll be with your family next year for Thanksgiving. And going to his Thanksgiving, that's an opportunity to show your commitment, to show how great it is. And I also see you having a warped definition of fair. Seems like you see fair as 50-50, tit for tat. I do something for you, you do something for me. But I don't see fair that way. I think fair is determined by so many other qualifiers. For example, when you learn about his why, why he loves Thanksgiving so much, maybe there's going to be some really heartwarming story where you realize that, you know, his grandma always did this wonderful thing on Thanksgiving and she's gone now. And I don't know, I can't make up the story. I'm not so good on the spot. But maybe you'll learn, maybe you'll really empathize with why Thanksgiving is so important to him. And then you're going to be like, you know what? I'm actually okay with doing Thanksgiving with your family. We'll go to my family on Fridays and that will feel fair. Fair can be, you can determine what fair means together, but it doesn't necessarily mean 50-50. I think it could be unreasonable to think that fair is 50-50. And then lastly, some other areas where maybe you're being unreasonable. The same, the same questions we asked him, why does he feel this way? Why is he inflexible, bringing up issues with how he's communicating, his lack of communication? I would ask yourself these questions too. So the questions are, do you have a pattern of like, 
agreeing to a decision such as it's okay that we don't spend Thanksgiving together this year to then only spiral about it, complain about it, bring it up, not get over it. Like, is that something that you do? I would ask yourself that because maybe he's feeling frustrated about it too. And do you, do you, when you talk about this, the holidays, your family, your life together, do you pressure him to predict the future at all? Like, do you do any of the stuff where it's like, well, in six months, are you going to be ready? Next year, are you going to be ready? It's normal if you do that. I used to do stuff like that too. But I, I learned myself that uh, people can't predict the future. If they don't feel that way about you now, there's no honest real way to say, yes, for sure. In six months, I'm going to suddenly see you as my family. I'm going to be ready to do this. There's no way There's no way for a person to honestly make that statement and to ask them to. It's just not honest. Those are some ways that you might be being unreasonable. But I don't think it's unreasonable in general to want to spend holidays with your partner if your partner feels like family. But if he doesn't see you that way, if he doesn't see you as family, then it might be unreasonable to stay in this relationship and demand that he change. We can't force someone to want to do something with us. We can't force someone to predict the future. We can't force them to say, oh, in six months, I'm going to be ready. In six months, I'm going to have that moment where I suddenly see you as family and want to treat you as such. We can't ask them to do that because no one can predict the future. So forcing him to is just, you're forcing him to lie, to give an unhonest answer. And maybe when you have this conversation, when you talk about your whys, when you come up with new hows, maybe he'll surprise you and say, you know, I changed my mind. You know, this year I really missed you. And I felt like while I'll miss being with my family and I love my family, it's more important to me that we celebrate together. Maybe he'll say that. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't say that, you have to decide whether you're okay with doing another season of separate holidays and another year in between. Because I'll tell you what won't work, what won't work is to have another year where you're feeling anxious about this. It won't work to have another year like this, I don't think. It won't work to have another year like this, I don't think. There's totally a world where you are okay with this. Like, I don't think it's the end of the world to not spend holidays with your partner. I've got lots of friends who don't do it. And sometimes they have feelings about it, sometimes they don't, but they feel confident in every other aspect of their relationship that they're willing to put this on pause or they're willing to work through this. They're not, they don't want it. They don't think it needs to end the relationship because they don't think that it's a symptom of a larger problem. You need to ask yourself if you think this is a symptom of a larger problem. That's where listening to your gut really comes in. You have to use the information you have available to you, your past experience with this person, um, have the conversations about the why and the how, and then check in with your gut again. What does it say? What does it tell you to do? Listen to it. And for our third and final letter, how do I tell my mom to stop triggering me with food? Hello, Hayes. I recently got into a huge fight with my mom because of the way she is about food. I'm nervous about what's going to happen over the holidays because we have so many meals together as a family. I've struggled with eating disorders my whole life, and my mom constantly talks about the 10 pounds she wants to lose, what diet she's on, what she has or hasn't eaten that day. When she recently came to visit me, I made it clear that I don't want to talk about stuff like that. I don't want her to mention me or my friend's weight anymore, and most specifically, I don't want her to comment on what I'm eating. For example, if I'm eating a bagel for breakfast, I don't want her to say, I wish I could eat bagels, but they're so caloric. Well, she did all of those things during the visit, despite my asking her not to, and she did not respond well to my confrontation. She immediately started defending herself and went to bed while I was still crying. She never mentioned it again. How should I respond if my mom continues with those topics after I made it clear how hard it is for me? I worry that nothing has changed because this isn't the first time this has come up. It was just the most intense argument about it. What do you think I should do? The brutal truth is that if your mom has her whole lifetime of disordered eating, fat phobia, negative body image, using food as a thing to control, you are not going to fix that lifelong disorder by telling her how it makes you feel about yourself. I know that's really challenging for children to hear, 
but I hope it also lifts some pressure off of you. You know how deep-rooted these problems are and how much effort it takes to heal from disordered eating, from an eating disorder. I think that going into the holidays or really any occasion with your mother or with someone who triggers you in this way, I think that going into it, hoping that she's going to completely change her behavior and become healed, I think that's unrealistic. I think you're, I, I think that's an unrealistic expectation. I say that for your own safety, relying on her to change for your ability to maintain your healthy habits for you to not relapse. We can't rely on your mom. You either need to continue to develop your toolbox of coping skills that you use when you're around people who have a negative relationship with food so that you don't allow their perspective, their comments to derail you, which I actually think is a lifelong journey. We're always doing that. You continue to develop that toolbox or you don't go. Like removing yourself or not going to things, you think it's going to derail your progress. Not going is an option. It might feel like an extreme option, but as we talked about on the other letters, sometimes you do have to decide to not see family, to not see certain people, if it's going to derail you or if it's going to hurt you or disrespect you or, you know, the list of the list of ifs goes on, but that's always an option that's available to you. And I'm not saying this out of judgment. I hope, I hope that's not coming through. If your mom's comments right now are threatening your ability to stay healthy, your healing, I would consider not going. I would consider not eating meals around her. I can't make this decision for you. I think it's a really good thing to talk about with your therapist or with someone that you work on, a doctor, whoever, wh whatever your recovery team looks like, I think this is a really good thing to talk about with them. How can I make sure that my recovery isn't threatened when I'm around people who trigger my relationship with food? There is a point in healing, and I want you to know this if you're not there yet, and anybody who's listening who isn't there yet, there is a point. You will get to a point when you are able to be around people who don't have a good relationship with food, when you're able to be around them and you can hear what they say, but you don't internalize it, when it doesn't trigger you to the point of affecting your behavior, you might still feel something about it. Like I, what's my relationship with this at this point in my life? I sometimes notice when I am like eating faster than other people, or if I eat my whole bowl and the person that I'm eating with isn't eating or isn't eating as much as me. I notice things like that. And I struggled with an eating disorder during college. But before that, I just had a bad relationship with food. Like I would say there's like the disordered eating and there's an eating disorder. I had an eating disorder, but I've also just had a bad relationship with body and with my food. For me, it's more about control, but I haven't had any eating disorder symptoms or behaviors in years. However, there are still moments when I notice food right? And a person who has a completely healthy relationship with food maybe would never notice if the person across from them is eating less than them. I don't know. You guys tell me. People who have healthy relationships with food. Does anybody actually have a healthy relationship with food? Please. I don't know. You guys will tell me. I can notice that. I can notice that somebody else maybe isn't eating as much as me and it doesn't affect me. Like I, I sort of notice it in the moment and then it's gone. I don't think about it later. And if you're at a point in your healing journey where you can't even imagine that that's a reality, I want you to know that it is. It is a reality. You will get there. It's okay if you're not there yet though. But learning how to learning how to let other people's comments brush off your shoulders is an important part of recovery. None of this makes your mom's behavior okay. Like it's not okay. The she knows something triggers you and that she does it anyway. The stuff she says isn't okay. Talking about your body, talking about other people's bodies in a critical way, not okay. 
but you can't live your life hoping for a miracle every time you see your mom. That's no way for you to live because that's really what it would take, right? Like her relationship with food is built on her whole life. You know how deep-rooted these things are. It would be a miracle for her to suddenly just snap her fingers and like be a completely different person and have a completely different relationship with food. It's not going to happen unless she's putting in the work. Her behavior is not okay, but I want you to really have your eyes wide open when you go into this holiday season, when you're having meals with her for what to expect. If your hope, if your expectation is like, she better not say anything. She better not say anything. And the only way that I'm going to be okay is if she doesn't mention my body or food once, she's going to. Your mother's going to say something about food or your body or someone else's body. If you're going to be with her for a week and you're eating all these meals together, she is definitely going to say something that's upsetting to you. But if you go into it knowing that with a plan of how you can react, then you're in control. But if you go into it thinking she better not do it, she better not do it, and then she disappoints you, you're just you're setting yourself up for failure. And we want to set you up for success. What does success look like? I do think you could have another conversation with her that isn't triggered by her saying something that upsets you. So you having a preemptive, proactive calm conversation. But before you do that, you need to think about what your goal is. It sounds like before your goal was just to like make her stop, to show her she's wrong. She's got to know that what she's doing is wrong, that it triggers me. And all of those, like all of those feelings are valid. But if your goal is born out of like anger and to prove her wrong and to show her, that's not going to change her behavior. However you communicated with her last time didn't work, it's probably not going to work again. So I would try something different. If what you were doing was scolding her, which I think sometimes we can do, I know that I've definitely, if like my mom has said something that I don't agree with, I think that sometimes my approach to like try to get her to change her mind is to like scold her. And I don't think anyone has ever been scolded into changing their mind, especially when it comes to something as personal and deep-rooted and sensitive as body image and food. Have you ever been scolded into changing your mind about your relationship with your body? I think actually to transform your relationship with food and body, it actually requires being inspired. That change, that type of change comes from inspiration. And you have to be inspired to want to change. And what's more inspiring than your daughter? You have an opportunity to inspire and it's okay if you are not ready to take on that responsibility or you don't want to, that's that's also okay, but you have an opportunity to. And inspiration can be many things. It could be modeling what you're doing. You have an opportunity to show your mom how she can do things differently and how joyous it can be and how freeing it can be to not be thinking about calories when you look at a bagel. I remember my college nutritionist just speaking about bagels. This changed my this actually changed my life at the time. My college nutritionist told me that I could eat a bagel every day and not gain weight. At that point in my recovery, I was like scared about gaining weight through therapy, I learned that my fear of gaining weight was really just a fear of losing control. Once I sort of healed the eating disorder piece and reframed my relationship with food, there was a lot more to unpack there. Like there was so much more to explore about control and all of that. But at the time I was really focused on on weight. I was still focusing very literally. God, you think like once the eating disorder was healed, I was like, okay, I'm going to be good now. But then, but then no. But then no, everything else that I had to deal with was actually much harder because I no longer had the coping mechanism. I just had all my feelings. But when she told me that I could eat a bagel every day and not gain weight and I relinquished control to her and I trusted her, like that changed my life. And you have an opportunity 
to be that for your mom. So what could this conversation sound like, this proactive conversation? I think it could be, mom, I know that our conversation about this didn't go well last time and I want to try again. I love you and I don't want this to be a problem between us. So can I tell you how I feel? I think that like starting a conversation with like, can I do that now? Can we have this conversation now? Can I speak? And then I want you to speak. I think that's a great way to go into a tough conversation with a family member or a person that you're close to. So assuming she says yes, you could say something like, I've been working hard to heal my relationship with my body and with food. And it's triggering for me to hear comments about diets and bodies in general from anybody, but also from you. It would be helpful for me this trip if you don't comment on what I'm eating or my body or other people's bodies, I don't want to tell you how to live your life or how you need to speak, but I just want you to know how your words make me feel. I know that living in this world, I'm going to be around these types of comments and I'm working on ways to not let them impact me so much, but I'm not there yet. So if you could be sensitive to it this week, it would help me. And then hear what she has to say. I don't know your mom. Like, I but I think that if you say that, you can be proud of yourself, you know? And it might not work. Like she might not listen. Or maybe she'll say, yeah, of course, sweetie. Of course. Thank you for letting me know. And then she might still slip up because she's human. And remember, she's been in her body for a long time. She's not healed yet. What do we do if she makes these mistakes? If she makes these comments? What are some strategies that you can use that don't involve blowing up? Well, my favorite is excusing yourself. I... I don't go anywhere. I don't go to any family function. And I love my family. Family listening to this, I love you guys. I don't go anywhere without many books. And escaping to read is the best way to excuse yourself. Nobody can say anything when you are going to read your favorite book. And now I'm like revealing my secret. Now when people know I excuse myself to read, they know I'm annoyed. But that actually isn't always the case. Like I am a voracious reader. I love reading. There's two books that I'm bringing me. I'm bringing Eli Rallo's new book. I didn't know I needed this and I'm excited to read that. And then I'm also bringing a novel. My friend Kate recommended this to me and Kate is gives the best book recommendations. It's called Foster Dade Explores the Cosmos. So I'll be bringing both of those books and excusing myself to read is just the best thing ever. You don't even need to say where you're going. If someone says something that upsets you, rather than exploding, just get up and leave. Just excuse yourself and go get your book and go put yourself into the book, decompress, and then come back when you're ready. I also think it might be helpful for you to have radical empathy for your mom. Your mom is just a girl. <laughs> She's just a girl. And I don't mean this in a, I don't, uh, I want to make sure I don't say this in a way that sounds like pity, but your mom is responsible for her words and her actions and all of that. You know how painful it is to have a disordered challenging relationship with food and she's still stuck in it because if you talk the way she does if you're talking about other people's bodies that is a sad way to be what could it look like for you to have empathy for her right now while you are in this sensitive state where you are focusing on your healing it's a balance because people do need to be called out on their problematic behavior but right now while you're in this state where you're just trying to stay afloat you're just trying to make sure that you're not interfering with your recovery. What could it look like for you when your mom says something to just be like, you know what? I have empathy for her because that statement is a sign that she isn't healed. Food still holds so much power over her. And that's, that's sad. And I want to help. So how can I be most helpful? Well, I can be most helpful, first of all, when I'm taking care of myself and I'm nourishing and feeding my body. So that's my priority. I'm going to make sure that I'm 
eating what I need to eat, what I want to eat. Food is fuel. Food is fun. I'm drinking water. Like you need to take care of yourself so that you can be that inspiration for your mom. That and remove yourself. Like I, I don't want to underestimate the power of removing yourself. It's literally my favorite trick in the book. So I think that's all I have for today. I think that's all I have for today. And my computer's on low battery, which is, I got to get a better setup here. This is like, this is like, I got to get a better setup. I'm sending all my love to everybody this holiday season. And I'm sitting with you in whatever it is that you're going through and what you're feeling and what, what these weeks, these days bring up for you. Thank you for being here with me. I'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. Follow the pod, share it with a friend. Thank you guys for helping me get the word out. Our goal is to make this the biggest advice column in the world. And I know that I will not do that without your help. So we're all doing this together, Hazelnuts, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you so very much. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave a comment, say hello. Happy holidays, and I will see you next week. Bye.